Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Bear River Lodge. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Welcome back. Hour number two and the final one for another week of KSL Outdoors Radio. As always, it's a pleasure to have you with us here. Navidowski is still with me. We uh, Russ had to step away for just a minute up there in Big Sky Country, but uh, Navi, great to have you again as we look ahead to hour number two here. We're going to talk fishing in just a moment. I'm going to pick your brain about um, what it uh, what the Endangered Species Act means to you. It's, it's kind of a love-hate relationship, I think, with, with hunters and fishermen, is it not? It's 100% a love-hate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let me tell you, ecosystems are delicate, and to try to guesstimate the ramifications of a lost species, you know, would be mind-boggling. And my experience historically is when humans are involved, it ends up bad. Let nature run it, for help nature, and you're going to be fine into perpetuity. I mean, it's worked this well. The ecosystem is it's 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 worked this way to this point. You must help keep it because you don't know their avocations if you were to lose even one. Yeah, that voice you heard there uh, briefly is Tanya Kiefer Sutherland, who is uh, Selby, rather. I don't know why I said Sutherland. <laughs> <laughs> Tanya Kiefer. Maybe I'm thinking, oh, Kiefer Sutherland. There you go. Yep. Ho- yep. Hollywood. Uh, ta- yeah, you know. <laughs> Tanya Kiefer Selby is back with us this week. Um, let's just jump into the conversation about endangered species here. And anybody that's not an avid hunter or fisherman, uh, Tanya, doesn't understand, but we try and educate all the time that the biggest conservationists when it comes to protecting wildlife and wild land are the people that are out there hunting and fishing. And they contribute to it every time they buy their uh, hunting pass or fishing license. Yeah, it's it's an interesting balancing act. You know, people may not have the best taste for hunters and fishermen but when we buy a a firearm or we buy any fishing tackle or you know you put gas in your boat though there are taxes that are implied on those purchases that end up coming back to fund conservation efforts like habitat improvements 
um, hatchery work that goes into raising fish like these endangered species fish that we're going to talk about today. And so it's crazy unless you know the whole story. And many people don't because it's just it's such a big story. Uh, you, you may be missing really integral parts of the of the puzzle there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reason we're talking about it today is the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act. And so we're going to look at some of the species in Utah that are protected. I guess I didn't realize uh, that, uh, including all species, there's 17 of them that are protected in the state, right? Correct. Yep. So we have 17 on the endangered species list, uh, nine that are endangered, eight that are listed as threatened. Uh, And the thing with the, the Endangered Species Act is it was put in place Uh, to promote recovery of the extinction of a species. With us having 17, that's a lot of regulations that we have to follow and maintain and rules. And the one thing that it's a tricky balancing act when you're a state agency maybe trying to manage wildlife, but trying to keep it from being federally listed as an endangered species. And so, you know, having these 17 already on the tipping point, the brink of extinction or the brink of being endangered, it's a pretty it's a pretty important job that many people take for granted you know we don't like you said it's a love hate we don't always get the support we're looking for when it comes to the esa species but they're super important to our heritage they're super important to our ecosystems uh there is a balancing act and they were here you know they were here first before any of us and so you know some of those fish include the colorado pike minnow the humpback chub the razorback sucker and bony tail here in utah those are the four species that we put a lot of a lot of efforts into with a lot of partners to try and maintain. And the crazy thing is in my lifetime, you know, you didn't, maybe I, you didn't, maybe I didn't ever think that you would see a big change happen. But even in the last three years, we've had species downlisted from being endangered to threatened, which means that the work and the efforts and all the blood, sweat, and tears we put in has paid off. Yeah. So it's an incredible story. Navi, we've had this conversation before, but when we start talking about a pike minnow or the uh, humpback chub, eyes glaze over and uh, roll in our heads because everybody's thinking about the other fish that they love to uh, you know, target when they're out there and how they're affected by this. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know about the eyes rolling. Um I know that people who aren't aware of the situation might do that, but look, these are our fish. This is uh, this is basically the stewardship that has been given humans, and and to try to prioritize in a in a crazy human perspective about priority is wrong. And and absolutely glad we have these agencies. And frankly, that Endangered Species Act has been a godsend to conservation in our country. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to know, how does something with a name like pike minnow end up being a fish that can reach five feet long and weigh 80 pounds? That's, <laughs> that's my that question. Isn't crazy? Yeah. It's North America's largest minnow. And think about it. Tim, you're a pretty tall man, but a fish <laughs> as big as you, I mean, you'd poop yourself if you saw it on the river. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah. Talk to us about some of the efforts that are ongoing. Uh, I know there's been habitat reconstruction, really, to try and protect some mm-hmm. of these fish. Mm-hmm. There are tons of things that go into it. There's a couple of different programs in the Western U.S. actually that help work with multiple agencies. It's big collaboration um, and efforts that go together, like the Upper Colorado River Endangered Fish Recovery Program, um, the San Juan River Basin Recovery Implementation Program. Like These are two big programs that are working with multiple agencies, multiple states, trying to maintain 
different things, whether that's in-stream flows, whether that's habitat restoration projects, whether that's dam maintenance or dam, you know, repair or dam relocation, destruction. Um, you know, we also are working to manage non-native species with these agencies, and it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of manpower to be able to bring an animal back from the brink of extinction. And, you know, think about that, Tim. If we hadn't, we wouldn't have a bald eagle. Like, the bald eagle is a prime example of a species that is a highlight of the Endangered Species Act because we were able to, you know, put it on the ESA, give it the protection it needs, did habitat restoration, changed chemical uh, maybe applications on certain um, aspects for crops and pesticides. We were able to turn that animal around and look at it today. You know, our nation's bird is shining strong. And so, you know, same thing with these fish. Maybe you don't see them all the time, maybe because it's in a muddy river or in a location maybe that you don't often visit. But they're just as important to make sure that we're working to maintain. And if it wasn't for all of these agencies that are working together to, on these recovery strategies and the management actions, you know, we, we lose them forever. And that has bigger implications than just losing a species because we let nature take its course. Nami, you want to jump in here? Yeah. Um, this goes back to um, 68, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. She located the DDT mm-hmm. and basically... You know, any bird that scavenges is going to get that DDT. And it was a very sentimental thing because this is our nation's symbol. And I don't want to say that we were lucky. It was, but honestly, it was a much easier sell because people were talking about our eagle. And, you know, it's really hard to convince somebody, you know, about the pike minnow because it has a face only a mother would love. <laughs> but, but, but you need to understand, these how one looks doesn't say one's value and and what we learned was that we could save the eagle we could clean our water we could do these things that man frankly caused them but man has the ability to rectify the situations yeah both you and i are, are both you and i are fortunate that uh, you can't judge us by our looks right <laughs> oh my god stop it um you talk about partners man this list of partnerships is long and it's one thing to say that you're going to coordinate it within your state within your own uh, wildlife division but when you start getting colorado on wyoming and the u.s fish and wildlife this becomes a, a a big yeoman's effort doesn't it it is a large effort and we're lucky that we have these two strategic programs set in place to be able to work with all of these partners to make such a humble kumbaya exist and you know we all bring our own agendas to the table and the nice thing is that we have one thing in mind get these fish off the endangered species act get them off the list downlist them get them to a safe location when you add a, a species to the list you add a lot of regulations and a lot of changes you know the thing that we're looking to do is we're trying to maintain a species so that we aren't causing any issues with uh, a ba- there's a balance between water development and human use even in an area where these endangered species exist and so it's a tricky balancing act and we are just so very fortunate that when we get together with all these groups we have one major thing in mind and that's to protect these species i'll, I'll tell you what i wish and i think it would be more effective for the general public is that instead of co- concentrating on what's on the list at any given time if we could talk about what we've been able to do to get species off of that list maybe would encourage yeah. more people. Yeah, yep, and that's the that's the whole point of us chatting, right? We just want to educate people on what's happened and what 
what are the good things that we are doing across the nation, right? Um, to make our, our, you know, our country, a, you know, a safe place for our, our wildlife. Yeah. So. Any last thoughts, Navi? Um, like I say, I think that's good advice. Uh, focus on our wins. It gives us positivity that we can go forward and do other things that we have yet to accomplish. Yeah, perfect. Uh, Tanya, thanks, as always. Great to catch up with you. You too, sir. You guys take it easy this weekend. All right, we will. The, Thank you. The 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act. We'll take a break. When we come back, doing a little road tripping today, and I'm going to pick uh, Bob and Mark's brain about what my agenda this weekend should be as we head down to the national parks. We're taking some friends from uh, London who are in the country. She's in the country for the first time but wanted to go see our national parks. So we're headed, first of all, down to Arches. We'll have that conversation next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It is time to do a little road tripping, and you know what that means. It means Bob and Mark are back with us today to take us somewhere in Utah. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on That somewhere actually is going to have me on the road in the next uh, little bit here. We're recording this program on Thursday, so tomorrow morning, uh, Friday morning, we're going to be leaving early for Arches National Park. Bob Grove on the line with us. Uh, Mark Wade also... And, guys, I'm twisting your arm a little bit to give me an itinerary of things to look forward to at Arches or maybe something that works out best once we enter the gates uh, tomorrow. But I thought I'd start with this. Oh, and by the way, Russ Smith is still with us up there in Big Sky Country. Russell, we got you? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> All right, okay, good. Um, I thought we'd start with this, guys, that uh, anybody that has not heard, and we've done our best to share the information that you need a reservation, you need to do that. Well, I. I have to be at the gate between 11 a.m. and 12 noon on Friday, uh, and it's really easy to do online. Not a big deal and cost you, what, I think, two bucks, Bob. Yeah, yeah, you had to go through that process, uh, and you there are certain timelines that you have to meet to be able to book a reservation for the yeah. date that you want. You can't do it too early, and uh, so you want to make sure that you understand the uh the time frame that you have to work with yeah i've already blown i've already blown mark one of your tips and that is to go early (laughs) but we're driving in so we're kind of headed straight for the gate from my house which requires us to you know get up at six and hit the road to be there by 11 or 12 Uh, i I have a quick question what 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 russell no i what i wanted to ask is do they leave that road open at night on these nights with full moons for photographers Yes, they do. Good. Do you have to have yeah, a you can go in. You can go in after hours. 
usually oh, okay. that's at a time when uh, I mean that's when you want to go in. Uh, a lot of photographers go in for sunset shots and yeah. that, but yeah. generally the busy hours are are uh, you've got somebody at the gate there. Yeah. Right. All okay. right. Now to my now to my first question, Mark. <laughs> it's good to start early, and I guess that's because of the weather. Well, it's you know you you want to get an early start just uh, for temperatures this time of year, right? That's that's a good reason. Uh, but then you know you've got a long park. You've got a park that's eighteen, nineteen miles to the, some of the back parts of the park, and you're you're going to get you've got a bit of driving to do. You've got the speed of the driving inside a national park is going to be slower. It's going to take some time to get to some spots. You're going to get in and out of your car and hike uh, places. And just viewing from your car is, is good. And you're going to be air conditioned that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I know, uh, for instance, Bob, that everybody's got delicate arch on their list. But I really need to know from both of you, if we're entering the park, is it better to go past some of these places and start from the back and work your way forward? Or is there any sense to it at all of how to plan your day? Well, I generally plan the trip into the park based on the interest of the people with me. I mean, if I'm driving solo, then it's much different. But if I have others with me, I have to determine what their interests are. If it's hiking, Delicate Arch is probably the most popular hike there. Everybody wants to go to the iconic arch. That's where I would go first because that's the busiest place. Um, generally it takes about an hour and a half to hike that hour to hour and a half, depending on your group, but that parking lot, even with the timed entry can get busy later in the day, in the morning, it hasn't been a problem, but it builds up through the day so that I, I, if you're playing on delicate arch, I would make that my first stop. If you're not planning on hiking it, you can still see it by going to the lower parking lot and seeing it from parking lot level. But then there's another hike where you can get up closer to it across the Canyon from where it sits on the rim. Yeah. Uh, but give me some of the other common stops, Mark, along the way. Well, if you're just going sequentially through the park, the very first viewpoint that I love is Park Avenue. Just on your left as you're coming up the hill and starting into the park. And you've got these beautiful views down these giant walls and formations and towers. The next point on the park that I really like would be over to Balanced Rock and over to Double Arch. And that's a, a little bit ways. That's kind of getting near the middle of the park. And then if you go beyond there, Bob, you know, one of the places I'd like to go, I've flown over this area, but I've never been in, is the fiery furnace. But it's my understanding that you've got to go with a ranger or you've got to get a permit. But if you go down a little further to what just passed there, Bob, there's a place you like to go, which is Devil's Garden. And that's like the fiery furnace. And that's kind of down where landscape arch is. And landscape arch, by the way, is the largest natural arch in the world, they say, 306 feet across. Hmm. Um, Bob, any insider tips that maybe uh, no guide would be able to tell us, but you've experienced? Well, you know, so there there are a lot of side uh, parking lots, you know, little turnouts where you can park. One is for Broken Arch and Sand Dune Arch. Sand Dune Arch is right close to the parking area, but uh, Broken Arch is a bit of a hike to get to it. But if you go through the Devil's Garden parking lot through the campground, you can take that road and get into the back of the, where the campground is. And then there's a trail that goes to the backside of Broken Arch. And and uh, that'll save you a little bit of time. And also uh, the parking's a little easier from that stretch. That's a good So point. there's one. Yeah. Uh, another one is to go up to the LaSalle Overlook. Uh, this is a good stop during the morning. If you're not trying to get the Delicate Arch right away, I would stop at the LaSalle Overlook. You get a beautiful view of the LaSalle Mountains and also a panoramic view of the park itself. This is where you can get some really fun 
long shadows of of your group on the rocks around you. It's a it's a nice stop in the morning. I would recommend that. Mark, one more thing. Uh, we've only got a minute here, but there are things outside the park that are still worth seeing. Plenty in the Moab area, but the Canyonlands area uh, and Dead Horse Point, I'm sure, are at the top of that list. They are. They're, they're not very far away. You know, just even driving up the uh, Colorado River, up to Fisher Towers and, and some of the areas that are around that area, that, that's all so close to Moab and to that area that you're visiting, all close to Arches National Park. So it's all within driving distance in a quick few minutes. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, that'll get us started and probably finish our day because we're only going to have a half a day, really, at uh, Arches. Next week, remind me, Mark, because I want to tell our listeners about your frog story since we were (laughs) focused on all of the rain we got in the last couple of days. How many frogs were in your window wells? I think we pulled 50 out of the window wells (laughs) and many many more out of the yard all around us. They've just started to mature, and the water, the rain has brought them out. That's crazy. Uh, Kind of Mormon cricket's gone toad here on us. All right, guys, thank you. It's Road Trippin' with Bob and Mark.com. We'll take another break. We will come back, and when we do, Sarah Sherman is with us from uh, Snowbird. We'll talk about some of the summer activities awaiting you up there. And, believe it or not, next weekend, Oktoberfest in August begins. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.